Welcome to Illuminate Greatness, the podcast that explores the latest trends in marketing and public relations and highlights the most positively powerful brands and people who are making a difference in our world. And now your host, entrepreneur, marketing and public relations expert, advocate, spiritual explorer, mother, and founder of Olive Creative Strategies, Jennifer Borba von Stauffenberg. Welcome to Illuminate Greatness. I'm super excited about today's show. I'm gathered here with Julian Brandt and Christina Gillenwater from Digitopia. Digitopia is a new company as a result of a merge from Organic SEO and Elevator Agency. And I'm excited to learn a little bit about that merge. But the reason why I chose to connect with these two for this is because there are so many changes and things happening in digital marketing that I'm particularly curious about. So many changes in what is effective, so many different options and things that people should consider, and not a lot of people really know the answer. And in fact, I think we're still, even as professionals, exploring what some of those answers are. We're going to have a discussion on how things are today and hopefully support you with some content that will help you to either ask the right questions of your team or to help you get started with your own digital marketing campaign. I specifically wanted to talk with Julian because I have been working with him through all of Creative Strategies, my agency, for at least the last nine years. What stood out to me the most is when I met with him, I had interviewed several different digital marketing teams. I couldn't understand what these other companies were doing. They didn't want me to know what they were doing, and they were wanting to just show me all these metrics that I couldn't understand. And after the meetings, I always felt more confused than I felt clarity. And when I met with Julian, he was so transparent. I remember he brought me to his office and gave me a tutorial on actually how to do it, even though I had no interest in doing it. And it just made me feel really safe. We are a marketing and PR agency, and we get great results on our SEO, which is search engine optimization, for those of you who might not be familiar. And we rank in the top three always. Our industry is very competitive, obviously, and we get so many calls because of them. I would love to just start this morning by, Julian, if you could just give me a little bit of your background so that people have an understanding of your qualifications and maybe a little story about how you got into digital marketing. And then we'll have the same conversation with Christina. And then we're going to get into some really great questions. Cool. Thanks for having me. I can't believe it's been almost 10 years now that we've been working together. I know. We met through this little club restaurant that was opening. You did such an amazing job with that. We got really curious as a company what we needed to be getting our other clients on board with and then also for ourselves. And thank you so much for all the great work that you've done for us and our clients over the years. Absolutely. It's been fun. Just to back up a little bit, I started Organic SEO as a small agency at that time 10 years ago. We were pretty focused on local search engine optimization for small businesses. We've evolved significantly since then as the landscape has changed and we've grown as an agency. I originally just wanted to get into the marketing industry. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always loved the idea of helping people. As I started doing marketing in my past career, which was in real estate. Really? Uh, I had no idea. 
What were you doing? Were you actually selling? I was, yeah. I got my real estate license out of school. I thought that that's what I would want to do just because it seems <laughs> like, amazing. well, for one, it was 2003, I think. And so yeah, the real estate was industry booming. was booming. Right when I got my license, the industry started to tank completely. And I was forced to try to figure out what I could do. So I was helping all the agents in the office with mm -hmm. digital marketing and building my websites. My first job in PR was at a real estate PR and marketing company. Interesting. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was helping a lot of people in that industry at the time. I had chosen real estate because it had a lot of the attributes of what I thought I wanted in a career. It had flexibility, unlimited potential. You get to do different things every day. It's focused on meeting new people, helping people. I liked that marketing encompassed also a lot of those things. And I recognized that the marketing industry in particular, SEO was something that was just not understood by most people. And there was a lot of people that were unfortunately being taken advantage of. So I wanted to focus on education and transparency, doing the right thing and helping clients that I believed in to grow. Awesome. Well, you definitely do that. And it is so apparent, especially when you have the privilege of meeting with so many different companies to see how differently they function. It's really refreshing the way that you guys do business. Christina, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to Digitopia. So I actually share a lot of commonalities with Julian, at least around the ethos of why I got into the industry. I've always had a very purpose-driven element to myself and really wanted to help people. I actually co-founded a nonprofit as well that's an anti-bullying focus. Wow, that's amazing. What is it called? Uh, it's called Be More Heroic. Wow. So we tour the country and serve elementary age and middle school age students, providing basically assembly type presentations and formats that are all derived around rich media. So songwriting and presentations, yeah. video presentations, things like that through a few influencers we work with that are musicians and performers. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And we have a few stipends and give back programs that we leverage for the school, all focused on anti-bullying. So that principle has always been really important to me to serve a larger good outside myself. And I had a wonderful mentor in college. I went to Cal State Northridge in LA. My mentor, who I met, was the head of the journalism department there at the mm -hmm. time. Her name is Lori Baker Shenna, just a powerhouse of a woman. She really instilled in me that marketing at large, whether it's PR, advertising, digital marketing, really presents an opportunity and a platform to connect with people, to communicate messages, to tell stories and to enrich lives and actually provide value for people. And so through her guidance as a mentor, I ended up choosing PR as an actual emphasis in college in the journalism department. That's Worked great. in PR the early part of my career, the first three, four years of my career, and made the transition to digital, just seeing it kind of as a new frontier, a really exciting industry that had a lot of potential for growth, that is really leveraging the best in class technologies and it's always constantly changing and evolving and it taps both parts of your brain the creative and the analytical mm -hmm. side you have to be kind of intellectually ambidextrous so to speak to perform in this job so it's a ton of fun and you get to help people which is nice awesome well that is what my next question was going to be what brought you to the digital marketing industry so do you want to answer that you just shared such a passionate reason for doing it and i think that is so important julian what is most important to you about the digital marketing industry? I just love that we have so much power to affect change and support the growth of organizations that we care about, that we think are doing cool things. About five years ago, 
I went through the process of becoming a certified benefit corporation. That was really important to me at the time. I already recognized that I felt like we were very aligned with what being a B Corp was all about. In hindsight, it was a really difficult process to go through and it took a ton of time, but I'm glad that we did that because we're now in a pretty tight-knit, somewhat exclusive community of companies that have gone through this rigorous process of demonstrating their transparency and what it is that they do. It's kind of like what nonprofits in the for-profit industry is. We have a public benefit report that we publish every year. We do a lot of things across a lot of different areas of the business to be more involved in the community, to support our team as best we can, and just to have a higher purpose of some sort. That's amazing. Could you elaborate a little bit more about what it takes to become a B Corp? Because I know a lot of people who aren't specifically in our industry might not know specifically what you're talking about. Yes. If you want more information, you can also always go to B-Lab, which is the kind of the governing body that helps companies go through the certification process. In essence, it's a certification that's 400 plus, I think, questions now. They have to go through an audit around. It looks at your corporate social responsibility, governance, all these aspects of the business. If you're a product-based business. It looks at your supply chain. They audit and evaluate pretty much every aspect of the business and then give you a score and you have to attain a minimum score of 80 out of 200. It's been pretty difficult for a lot of companies to get. So there's only, I think, 16 B Corps now in San Diego and about 2,500 worldwide. But now that we're part of this community, that's like instant camaraderie when we connect with another B Corp. So it's it's really cool because everyone knows what it took to go through that process. Yeah, and immediately you know exactly what that company is about. Mm-hmm. You know that you're aligned on the important things in business, which are your core values, the people that you serve, what you're trying to accomplish in the world, that you serve a higher purpose and mission. The mantra of the B Corp movement is to leverage the power of business as a force for good in the world. So how can we collectively as you know, a digital marketing agency leverage our talents and unique skill sets to raise awareness of a product or a brand How can we leverage those powers that we have to propel the good guys forward? How can we help them win? They recognize that government and nonprofits aren't going to be able to solve all of the world's problems. And Mm -hmm. that business needs to be not a detractor from all of that, but that business needs to be part of the solution. So they have this concept of the triple bottom line mentality, people, planet, and profit. And that's what it's all about. Amazing. It sounds so interesting. We have wanted to go through that process, but because how of how lengthy it is, we haven't done it. It took a year for us to go through that process. Wow. And then we got audited immediately after, right? Yeah. That's so, incredible. So. Well, I'm so glad that they hold it to such a high standard yeah. that it actually has meaning and is important. I want to talk also about your recent merge. Can you share a little bit about why you guys made that decision and how it has impacted the services that you're offering? Sure. So I had known Frank, who is the owner of Elevator Agency, for a few years through a business mentoring organization that we're both part of. We had met up for coffee and talked shop, but we got to talking about a year and a half ago now about the fact that we were both about 10 people in size and we've been doing this for a long time, both of us working in this industry for 10 plus years. And we wanted to create something bigger. We wanted to create more opportunity for everyone on our team and we wanted to continue to scale and grow. But also, Elevator was much more focused on bottom of the funnel digital marketing, a lot of lead nurturing and marketing automation. They're a HubSpot Platinum tier partner. So they used HubSpot as a CRM and leveraged that tool really well for their clients. And then organic SEO was much more focused on 
top of the funnel marketing, a lot of SEO, social advertising, Google advertising, traffic and brand awareness. So it was really for that reason coming together to offer more full funnel digital marketing. Awesome. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about the services that you offer and what kind of clients that you work with as an organization? Who should be talking about digital marketing? Who needs this as part of their marketing mix? To answer the first question, there's a couple different ways that a client will typically work with us. Sometimes they have a very specific, direct, single need like SEO or social media ads or Google ads, and we can absolutely do that one thing and we can do it well, but ideally they buy into a number of different aspects of what we can do with an embedded strategist at the core and they buy into our whole what we call our digital ecosystem methodology. Chris, maybe you can speak to that a little bit more. Chris is really the one that's on the front lines on a day-to-day basis, talking to prospects. A lot of times people come to us thinking they need one thing, and a lot of times as a result of the conversation, they realize that actually that's not what they need. And so we help them reframe what it is that's going to help move the needle or maybe take a step back. Sometimes PR is a much better solution for what they're hoping to accomplish. Sometimes they really need to take a step back and focus on branding, messaging, figuring out their unique selling proposition, things of that nature. But Chris, maybe you can speak a little bit more to the methodology that we have. Exactly. I think we really see digital marketing as two different buckets. There's the tactical bucket, which are all the activities that drive a program. So pay-per-click advertising, social advertising, retargeting, display, content, organic social media, all those things I think we kind of put in a tactical bucket. Those are the day-to-day activities we know we need to be doing to drive the long-term program. The second bucket that we would really hang our hat on and really drive home with our clients would be the strategy bucket, which is oftentimes the thing that's overlooked the most. So things like how are we positioning ourselves in the marketplace? Who are our target market segments and their cohorts? What are our unique selling propositions? What is the transformation we truly provide with our product or service? And how can we communicate that value to our prospects effectively or to our target segments effectively? What customer success stories do we have in the organization that we can really amplify and highlight? What resource allocation do we need? What elements of a digital team do we need in place? Do we need PR? Do we need a social media channel? Do we need advertising, affiliate marketing? What type of tech stack do we have in place? Technology is such a huge impact on digital marketing nowadays. Do you have marketing automation software in place? Do you have sales enablement software, customer service software? How do all those things speak to each other and work together and report up to one another? A lot of the more big picture strategic things is where we really differentiate ourselves with our clients and help build programs around. So our methodology in terms of digital marketing, how we actually take website visitors and turn them into quality sales opportunities for our clients, we take a relationship-based approach to digital marketing. So through content and offers that provide value to website visitors, we understand that there are natural relationships that take place, even though this is a digital space, which I think a lot of marketers forget that these are still human relationships that exist online. I think that's one of the most important things that people are forgetting right now. Mm -hmm. And I can vouch for what you are saying. The reason I respect you as an agency so much and as individuals is that you aren't trying to fit clients into your bucket. You're 
actually meeting with them, identifying what their needs are, looking for real solutions. And oftentimes those solutions aren't here at Digitopia. And so I have received many phone calls where you have said to somebody that could have been a potential client for you that really they needed something else. And I think specifically just that one detail is one of the biggest differentiators that you possess as an agency, but then also the really broad strategic thinking and direction and actually looking at the metrics that will actually make a difference. And then honoring those relationships is so huge because it isn't right for us as marketers to call out our results as something that they already have as a result of just being great at what they're doing, right? Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about why somebody should hire an agency versus trying to do it themselves. What is the real true benefit aside from everything that you just said? What else makes it so important for somebody to invest in an outside source? You and I just in the last year went through a process of building out new office spaces. Mm -hmm. Like we probably both use commercial construction companies, kind of that you could have done it yourself, which would be a terrible idea for (laughs) me or you to try to do our own TI. Or you could try to go to Craigslist and find the the contractor. But it's sort of like duct tape and stables versus legitimate, safe office space that actually looks professional and beautiful. Yeah, you want to find somebody that specializes in exactly that you want some guaranteed results you want to understand what the timeline is going to be and set expectations and be able to hold somebody accountable to that so for that same reason you want to you know in some instances it makes sense to have marketing in-house in some instances it helps mitigate risk to outsource and hire an agency for certain certain things like seo a lot of times you'd have to be a really large company to have an in-house seo team but if you can hire an seo company at a fraction of the cost of what it might cost to have somebody doing that for you full-time and not be beholden to pay their salary and train them and do all the things that you don't have capability to do very easily. Wouldn't you agree also, though, that with changing technology and algorithms switching so often that when you're at an agency, you have an opportunity to see right away when there's a shift because you notice it in all of your clients versus when you're working on one project, it might be a slow decline that you're not quite noticing as abruptly as when everything drops in a day. At least as an agency, we offer social media and we can notice instantly when Facebook shifts their algorithms. Is that something that you guys see as an agency as well? We have maybe 40 something clients. We have the luxury of seeing how things work and maybe translating from one industry to the other or seeing something working really well in one industry and helping a client that's in a similar or the same industry. So absolutely, by all means. If you're a corporate marketer (laughs) house at a brand, I think you're dead on, Jen, that you can become really insulated and focusing specifically on your target market segments, your product or service, and how your brand is positioned in the marketplace. And you do develop a a bit of a blind eye to how the industry at large is evolving and changing and how customer journeys are changing. Absolutely. What's the right time for a company to reach out to an agency like Digitopia or to actually reach out to Digitopia to get support with their digital marketing. When in the process is the right time? For us, we have a very specific ideal company size and persona of the type of company and person that we're looking to work with that we know we can help most. 
there's a lot of agencies that serve companies of different sizes in different industries. I think it's always great to get some outside help and support. If you're really small and just getting started and you're bootstrapping and you don't have much of a budget, you might find a consultant that can come and sit with you and you're going to be doing a lot of the work yourself versus somebody that's ideally going to be working with us probably is at least five, 10 million plus in revenue. They're pretty well established. They're just looking to accelerate growth and they need some outside support for the areas of marketing that they don't do in-house. So usually there's already a few in-house marketing people when we're working with the company, but they are tasked with, maybe there's a CMO or a marketing director, but they're tasked with helping to support the sales team, running events, doing online and offline advertising. They usually don't have super specific skill set of you know, SEO or Google ads, nor does it make sense to spend their time doing mm-hmm. such a specific activity. So we can help kind of fill the gaps in the marketing org structure of the organization as they continue to grow and evolve. I think for a startup type of business or a small company potentially, there are a few things from a branding perspective that you want to make sure you have crystal clear first and defined before you, so to speak, turn on digital marketing. We talked a little bit about that already. One thing being your unique selling proposition. If you can communicate your product and your service to the market in a way that's truly unique and differentiated, after that, everything becomes much easier. Make sure that that's dialed first. Make sure that your branding is in place, your logos, your color schemes, your web design, your marketing collateral design. How are you presenting your brand to the market? Make sure that you have a website that can receive web traffic and provide a good experience for that traffic and that can position and sell your brand well. So there's a lot of foundational elements, I think, first before you want to turn on marketing and start investing a lot of money in driving traffic to perhaps a brand or a website that's not fully flushed out and developed. Absolutely. We've seen that a lot where we get traffic to a client's site and then they're not able to close the deal because of something being wrong with their sales funnel once people are received. I think that's really important. I want to shift gears just a tiny bit because I want to specifically talk about search engine optimization, SEO, for those of you who aren't familiar, a lot of people just call it SEO. Tell me a little bit about how that's changed. I know from a PR standpoint, we've noticed a lot of differences and we've had to adjust our efforts in developing stronger content strategy with our clients. Also, the types of coverage that we're securing. Sometimes we're going after opportunities specifically for the links. Sometimes we are changing our strategy entirely specifically for SEO. And what is the latest? What should people be asking when they are discussing search engine optimization? I'll just start by prefacing that I don't think SEO is a great option for a lot of people that think they need SEO. We often get people coming to us because especially when we were called organic SEO, that's the core service that we you know, offered. But realistically, SEO is a lot, very long-term play. It can take six, 12 plus months before you see the ROI that you would expect to justify the cost. And there's usually a lot of other things that can start moving the needle a lot sooner for a lot less money. It can work very well, but oftentimes it should be a component in a bigger digital marketing strategy if you're of a certain size and it's going to make sense for you. Mm -hmm. So SEO has evolved a ton. Like I mentioned in the beginning, we used to do local SEO. That's barely even a thing anymore. There used to be a seven pack of local results and you didn't even need a website to really rank in that section. Now you almost never see 
that pack. It's a, maybe a three pack every once in a while. But the search engines have gotten so much smarter. They're looking at all the different aspects of your past search history, the type of device yeah. you're on, how fast you're moving. Like if you're driving down the freeway and you're looking for restaurants on your phone, they're gonna give you results in a 10 or 15 mile radius. But if you're walking down the street in downtown and you're looking on your phone, because they see how fast you're moving, they're gonna give you results in like a three or four block radius. So scary. Yeah, so like <laughs> they've gotten super smart. Everything has changed. You need to have I would say like SEO is to some extent kind of an umbrella term that just means like you're doing a great job of this having an online This is so interesting presence. to me. I had no idea that it had become irrelevant for certain businesses. It depends on your buyer too and where they're meeting you in their journey. If you have the type of business where the buyer is on their own identifying that they have a problem that they need to solve, that they're actively searching for it on something like a search engine, then SEO might be a good opportunity to drive traffic to your website. Can you give a specific example? So service-based businesses are great examples of people, you know, whether it's something simple like an automotive business, like, hey, my car broke down, I've got to take it to the shop. I know I have a problem. Now I need to get in market and start searching for companies that sell a service that can remedy my problem. For those buyers, SEO could be a great option because you're meeting them where they're actually in market. For companies that maybe have more of an impulsive buying cycle, maybe it's like a consumer product, that type of thing you like see on the shelf in a grocery store and you're like, hey, I'll take that, that looks good, and put it in the cart. That might be a different consideration process for that buyer, so they might not be actively looking for that online, but if you can get in front of them, maybe on a social media channel with what we would call display advertising, and target them based on interest, that might be a better channel for you to start drumming up sales and opportunities from. Definitely. So the buyer but, is really important. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. SEO still has a place and you should do all the things that the search engines are looking for, but they're just looking for you to create a great experience and provide quality content. So your website needs to be properly structured. It can be very beneficial to do at least a one-time optimization sweep of your website, if nothing else, to make sure that the pages are loading as quickly as possible, that each page has a very specific intent that you would hope somebody would find that page for based on a few different keyword phrases that you're maybe using things like schema markup to let the search engines recognize what information specifically they should pull out of that page when somebody's looking for something. There's a lot of kind of foundational components to making sure your website is sound from an SEO perspective, but a real SEO campaign, if you're truly competing with other people that are doing SEO, it can get very expensive very quick because you're doing a lot to try to build links and create a ton of content and so that can be very difficult and some people are spending tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands a month and you just have to be very realistic with what the competitive landscape is and what your expectations are for SEO. Don't you think that is such a key thing being realistic and setting expectations? I think as an agency that's one of our biggest challenges is that some of our competitors might not be setting realistic expectations or being so open and honest about how certain tools that we've been standing on for so many years just aren't working the same way that they used to. And I know we've been seeing that a lot in media relations, that there are so many different ways to reach people through social media and micro-influencers to traditional journalism and television that the segments are so vast that the impact just isn't quite as great. And so we have to work so much harder. So it's really interesting. I want to talk now about inbound marketing and 
why businesses need that. Can you describe a little bit about when a company would want to activate that type of a tool? Yeah, I really think that there's no company in the world that inbound marketing wouldn't serve well because it's the antithesis to a lot of issues within traditional marketing or cold calling type marketing, more sales approach, direct response, where Julian had a great analogy about if you were going to the grocery store. Yeah, we were talking about this to a client yesterday. If I'm walking into a grocery store and I see somebody with a clipboard in their hand, I'm probably going to try to go through the other door or avoid them at all costs. Why even is that? Yeah, even <laughs> if they might have a cause that I really care about. And I, I just am not willing to meet them because it's not on my terms. Whereas like once I'm in the store, if somebody's handing out samples and it looks good and I'm deciding to stop because I want to try it out, that's on my terms and I'm totally willing to try it. So it's all about meeting people on their terms and giving them value up front. Then you let the person make the buying decision if and when they're ready. And I think that is the key too. It's value. We have to provide value for people and we have to provide quality products and services no matter what we're doing. Yeah. And it's also important to understand the consideration stages of the buying cycle. So people are going to start doing research in the consideration stage. You want to be providing content and showcasing thought leadership at that point, and then they can consume your information and see you as that thought leader. And then you nurture that opportunity and keep giving them more and more and more value until the time is right. Because realistically, the percentage of ready now buyers, that people that are actually ready to pull the trigger and make a purchase is like one to 5% of all the people that are out there. But if you can get in front of the other 90% that could someday be your buyer and nurture them and create the relationship and then be there when they're ready, that's what I think inbound and content marketing is all about. I agree. You touched on content, and I want to talk a little bit about that. How important is content as a PR agency? We talk about content all the time. Everything we do is about storytelling. How does that fall into digital marketing? Where is it important? Where is it less important? Can you share a little bit about that? I mean, I think content is everything. Content is the fuel that feeds all of your marketing initiatives. I mean, really, it's kind of broken down into content strategy and then tactical execution component so if you don't have content you really don't have anything to work with and it's really all again buyer driven i think that's the biggest shift with marketing in general over the last 10 15 years the buyers have so much autonomy and they have so much access to information they're actively participating in conversations about your brand whether you want them to or not if you want to participate in those conversations you have to be publishing content There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so join the conversation, be publishing content, and be positioning your own brand rather than being kind of a sideline to those conversations that are happening. What do you guys feel is the most important type of content? We are often talking about the importance of video right now and quality photos because of the way that the social media platforms work. What are some of the important things that people could do that maybe somebody listening right now could start today and put into action that would really support them in moving their marketing forward? I always like to say that the conversations that you're having in the sales process are a great place to start. So if somebody's asking you a question, there's probably 500 people that are thinking the same question and looking for it online. So if you can write that long form content that answers people's questions 
in the sales process. I think that's a great topic for blogging. Yeah, I think you're right that there are certain tactical strategies for what mediums you're deploying content on and in what format. Video is an amazing format for deploying content for a number of reasons. YouTube processes something like a billion searches per month. It's the second largest search engine in the world. What's the first largest? Uh, Google. Google. No. <laughs> Who owns you? That's what I was, what I was being. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny about that, like people will actually search for Bing phrases on Google and then get to Bing from Google. That's really <laughs> funny. That's how dominant they are. But I think the larger conversation around content is kind of what Julian was alluding to. How are you producing it in your organization? What are the value propositions you're articulating in content? And what are some of the larger objectives it's serving? One thing we talk a lot about as an agency for our clients is premium content on your website. So what are the actual content pieces that are moving digital marketing objectives forward and moving your customer's buying cycle forward, progressing it forward? So as an example, you know, if you're perhaps a bank, a financial institution, maybe like a credit type of organization, those companies, oftentimes you'll land on their website for the first time and you'll see something like a credit debt calculator. You can plug in what your current financial situation is pretty easily and get a result that is functional and that helps you start to solve your problem on your own. And then oftentimes a lot of what the content that comes after those pieces are topically related to that same buyer persona. And they just continue to help solve that problem for the customer. So what are those really key functional pieces that provide value and actually progress your sales process forward with your prospect? What do you guys think about the quality of the video? For example, on Facebook, you see a lot of experts who are still doing those raw videos. I feel like for me, those videos are gonna last online for eternity or however long the platforms last. And down the road, I want clean quality content. Is there still a place for that raw homemade version of the video or are people moving towards more polished marketing materials? I would say yes. Julian might have a different opinion, I'm not sure. But I think you're right that you absolutely have to have the polished content. I think that is the content that lives on your website and lives in a lot of your larger brand building activities. But I think a lot of what we're seeing nowadays with social content in particular, it's a lot of just selfie style videos, quick messages, and again, value. I think one of the things we see with organizations a lot is analysis paralysis, where they overthink things too much and they aren't actually able to produce any content. So I think for social content, you can be a little bit more flexible. You definitely want polished brand videos there as well, but sometimes the raw videos can connect and they help with that commitment and consistency to content to get stuff out every day. But I think for your website, yeah, polished, 100%. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that speaking to that point about analysis paralysis, a lot of people just don't do video at all because they're scared of it or they think it's going to be too difficult or they're worried it's not going to be polished enough. So I think it's great to just put something out there, especially if you have a really well-defined buyer persona that you're going to resonate with and you're providing value to because of the fact that so many people don't do video content it's a lot cheaper to get exposure and advertise and promote on social channels for that reason alone i think it's it's a great idea to create some video content if you're willing to cool when is automation 
valuable and when should it be avoided? When have you gone too far? I can't say that we've ever gone too far. I think one misnomer about automation is that is inherent with the name. People hear automation and they assume a lack of personalization where actually the opposite happens with marketing automation. Marketing automation was purpose-built for marketers to make their work life, their job, their activities more efficient and create efficiencies throughout programs. So you can automate things like social media publishing, email marketing, things of that nature. But what happens with automation software, because it's so intelligent and you're able to glean and garner so much customer data, you can actually create more dynamic, more personalized customer experiences because you can pull all of this information into fewer leveraging HubSpot as an example for a marketing automation software. All the rich history about that prospect from the first time they land on your website to any page they visit, any content they download, social media ads that they see, it's all stored in one place. Now you can build workflows and intelligent software design around that customer to actually present them with a unique experience that makes it feel like they have a one-to-one relationship with you. So I'm not sure you can go too far with automation. I would just add that I, when I heard you talking, it's like personalization at scale. The only time I think that it's bad is if you can tell that you're if it's not, just bad it's automation. Yeah, if it's bad <laughs> automation and you can tell you're talking to a robot basically, yeah. that can look bad and that can backfire for sure. But it does allow for, if done right, personalization at scale. And when you're a bigger organization, you kind of need that. Let's talk measurements. I want to know how people should discuss the results that they're going after. What are some of the things that they should be asking? How do you discuss that with clients? I think one of the amazing things about digital marketing is the abundance of information and data. We really have no excuse to be providing anything to our clients that's less than total transparency. With that in mind, it's really easy to get lost in things like vanity metrics and KPIs that aren't truly moving the needle and truly providing insight on performance. For people who don't know, can you define KPIs? Yeah, KPI, so a key performance indicator. So it's a data point that you can measure that you can tie directly to performance and understand that you're moving closer towards your ultimate goal or objective, whether it's a campaign or a program at large. Some vanity KPIs would be for in our business, you know, if you're running a social media advertising initiative, Facebook has a metric called reach. Reach is very, very misleading. Some agencies who are kind of the, the snake oil agencies that maybe not be on the up and up in terms of transparency with clients report oftentimes on reach and having it be a really successful metric. All it is, is how many times did a person even see your advertisement? Or show up, they might not have even seen it. Yeah, they, there's no way to go the the screen. Yeah. There's no interactive nothing part, interactive. there's nothing happening, it's just that it's there. They didn't click on it. We nothing. see that all the time. That is the biggest challenge that we have had when we are launching a social media campaign, for example, with clients, and they're wondering why our numbers are the way they are. And we're saying, because these are the real numbers. Yeah. And they'll say, well, our last agency did X, Y, and Z. And then we say, okay, well, tell us about the conversion of that. And did you have engagement? And they say, well, not really. And so we're like, okay. <laughs> 
that's what we're looking for, conversion and engagement. Are you actually creating a community? So I think this is a really important piece, especially in digital marketing, because it is transparent and you should be able to get the numbers and the details, but people don't know what details to ask for. Right. What would you say is the very most critical result that you should be looking for? One of them for most of our clients is the cost of conversion. We're looking at continuing to like see a positive trend, the cost of conversion continuing to go down. I would say that's probably one of, if not the most important. I would say that's the most critical yeah. in but, our conversations yeah. that we have. It's shocking that a lot of times when we jump on the phone with a prospect that's been working with an agency or two, they've never had the business math conversation to understand what the high level objectives are and what KPIs they need to hit in order to be successful long term. Like, we should back out of just the marketing metrics and look at the business math metrics to make sure that there's long-term sustainability. What's the cost of customer acquisition need to be? What's your margin on the product or service that you're selling? What's the average lifetime value? All of these things that are so important to really determine whether or not marketing is producing a positive ROI for you and to see if the trend is going in the right direction. How do you determine the right budget for a campaign? What are some of the measurements that you guys maybe back out to identify where a client should start? Because I think for our clients, that's one of the burning questions is, where should you start? And in a lot of conversations where we're supporting them by being a liaison to their digital marketing team, we're often tasked with, okay, if we start with this amount, what can we expect in terms of scaling? Or how do you sort of game it to understand the process for which somebody should even get started? Again, it goes back for me to the business math. What is the cost of customer acquisition need to be in order for this to be a profitable endeavor for you long-term? And that answer is very different for different companies depending on size, revenue, whether they have investment, how long their outlook is for profitability. You could have a $100 product and you could say that you have to you know, you have a really small margin on it and you can only spend 10% of the cost of that product to get that next sale. So you only have a $10 budget and it has to be, the cost of acquisition has to be less than $10. Where you might have your competitor that's literally saying, we're willing to spend $200 to sell a $100 product because the lifetime value of that new customer is gonna be $500 or $1,000. So that's something that sometimes clients run up against is when they have a competitor that is willing to outspend them on marketing. Having those conversations are what's so important. And a lot of times, surprisingly, we're talking to somebody and they don't have the answers to those questions. They don't know what their margins are. They don't know what they'd be willing to spend because it shouldn't be about establishing a finite budget and saying our ad spend on Google is gonna be $5,000. If it's working and you can hit that cost per acquisition target, then why wouldn't you just keep spending money until you've tapped that resource completely? You shouldn't have arbitrary budget of $5,000 if you can put money in the meter and you can get more money out of the meter. It really should be just 100% driven on your cost of customer acquisition. To if Ju- you can hit that point. To Julian's point, I think the most important metric for people to understand is lifetime value. I think that's one thing that companies oftentimes leave out of their calculation for marketing budget. Most of your new customers, especially if you have a relatively small average order value, you're going to be ROI negative in order to acquire them. You're going to have to spend a lot more to build brand, get in front of them, and convince them to convert. So if you can understand and factor in lifetime value, it's a real game changer. 
you always reference a great example of Starbucks analogy. Yeah, I heard it on another podcast actually a couple of years ago. I thought it like really resonated. It was the concept of a mattress company has a thousand dollar mattress. They know their margins on that mattress. They can only afford to spend 10% of the cost of that average order value, which is $1,000, because they know that lifetime value is very similar. It's probably $1,000 since the next time they buy a mattress is going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and it's probably not going to be with them, like that person will have moved, versus Starbucks, where if they can get you to buy Starbucks for the very first time and hook you with the caffeine and that drink. Specifically, it's a $5 average order value, but their lifetime value is like $1,500 or $15,000. So they're actually willing to spend $500 to get you to buy that first $5 cup of coffee because they know that it's gonna pay off for them long-term. So like understanding those types of concepts, I think is really important when you're establishing budgets. But I also see a lot of times people artificially cutting themselves off with ad spends when if it's working there's no reason that you shouldn't just keep cranking up the dial because if you know what your cost of customer acquisition is and you come in under that target then why wouldn't you just keep doing that one thing i think part of the problem is that traditionally you go to a marketing agency and you say you have x number of dollars and they do what they can do versus what i have always believed and actually it was the reason i switched to pr is because I can get a certain amount of time with a client and I can get infinite results. There's no boundary to what I can achieve, whereas it always bothered me that whole concept of I have this much money where I really feel like marketers should do exactly what you guys are doing, where you say, what do you need to do? Let's back it out, identify how much the right thing for you would cost, and then let's do that. And sometimes the budget's smaller and sometimes it's more expensive and a client has to scale to it. But it's such a much more authentic way of doing business and in the long run will actually get people to a certain result. And then also even having other conversations around what other bottlenecks might we face as we scale? Because a lot of times marketing can work, but then something else breaks, you know, like the production needs to ramp up or something in the supply chain breaks, like you have to hire internally, whatever it might be, there's usually other questions to be asking to understand like how fast do we want to grow and have a more like holistic bigger picture perspective of the business i think that's a great segue into the next question i wanted to ask how does a business owner know that it's time to turn on a marketing campaign i have seen so many times where especially with consumer goods they don't have enough actual product to sell when they scale and so it ends up getting stuck or Maybe like you were talking about hiring is an issue. What should somebody be prepared for when they're gonna activate a campaign for the first time? Should they plan to grow their team? What do they need? I think that for a startup type of organization or a relatively new company, there needs to definitely be a long-term game plan. So you can't say, we wanna turn on a campaign for three to four months, garner some online sales or some foot traffic at Whole Foods, if you're a CPG product, there needs to be a lot more consideration. There needs to be milestones in between. Some of the things that we like to set in terms of expectations for starting digital marketing would be if they're a brand new company, they haven't done any actual direct response, you know, talking to their audience through marketing channels, really leverage all the tools at your disposal with digital marketing to just learn more about your audience as step one. 
if you haven't had the opportunity, the resources to do like really heavy market segmentation and research, which can be really expensive, then you need to start simply. Let's understand our audience really well. From there, you can grow and scale. The objectives need to be very considered and attached to milestones. I wouldn't start focusing on digital marketing as a real sales initiative until there's a lot of foundational elements built and flush out first. Well, we're almost out of time. I have one more question that I want to ask you guys. We have so many discussions on our team about how things are changing. What do you think the future of digital marketing is going to look like? Where do you think we're headed? So it's constantly changing, obviously. You know, some of the things that we hear a lot of people talking about that we see is the evolution and the fast pace of innovation with virtual reality, augmented reality, voice search, that's completely changing the landscape of SEO. Some of the staples I think are gonna continue to always be there, like strategy is always gonna be absolutely fundamental, good quality design, branding, marketplace differentiating, all of those aspects will only get to be more important as other things get somewhat commoditized, like the online advertising platforms like Facebook, they're continually getting smarter and smarter with machine learning to produce better results. So that is to some extent being commoditized and driven down, but the strategy and the oversight and asking the right questions and having great brand and design is super important. So that's not gonna change. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things that we can take from yesteryear some of the greats of the advertising world in the 50s like in Ogilvy and Mather if you can understand your message your market and the value you provide you can kind of stay above the fray and avoid being kind of at the mercy of all these platforms and tools and technologies and different mediums I think those things will always ring true that no matter how you're communicating you can be successful and grow a brand if you really own those things in your business. I agree. I always go back to quality and connection. I think as long as we stay connected to our community and we're creating quality products and services, you're always going to be okay. I just want to thank you both so much for joining me today for Eliminate Greatness. And thank you so much for the great work that you do, not just for your clients, but for the world and for setting a high bar for the people in your industry to step up to. So very cool. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Interested in receiving free marketing and public relations resources? Visit IlluminateGreatness.com and subscribe to our newsletter to receive valuable weekly content that will inspire you and help you grow your business. That's IlluminateGreatness.com. Thank you for listening to the Illuminate Greatness podcast brought to you by Olive Creative Strategies.